This is the Room Now podcast for December 21st, 2018. This podcast is brought to you by Room Now Live, the next best meeting in rheumatology, March 22 through 24 in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of Room Now and co-chair of Room Now Live with Artie Cavanaugh. Um, this week in the news, we're going to rehash some things from last week. And that might just be enough before the holidays. We'll also tell you what a rheumatologist is worth. So we'll start with a study from the US, the UK, BSRBR, the British uh, uh, Society of Rheumatology's Biologic Registry, which looked at the risk of cancer and looked at the associations with death um, and sort of reaffirmed a lot of the messages that we've passed on before that with TNF inhibitors, and they looked at like 700 plus patients um, followed over a long period of time. They had 34 cancers and 41 deaths. When they did their comparisons, the SIR, the standardized incidence ratio for malignancies was not higher with a TNF inhibitor. It was 0.94, overlapped one. Um, and that was again in line with what we've seen with a lot of other cancers. And that's the general cancer risk. And that's, you know, it's your job to treat arthritis somebody else's job to treat cancer. If you're being handcuffed by a safety concern and talk of cancer, you need to know the data. So um, the interesting thing that also came out of the study was the flip side of the coin, which looked at the risk of death. And they showed a twofold increase in the standardized mortality ratio in their trial. Um, and um, especially for non-melanoma skin cancer, the overall SMR was only 1.56, so a 56% increase. But most of this mortality rate that was increased uh, in patients on TNF inhibitors was from cardiovascular events. Um, so uh, you might want to um, keep that in mind. Uh, I found this interesting. Uh, who has more pain? And is pain the same between different ethnic and racial groups? I remember having this conversation with Fred Wolf, gosh, about 20 years ago. And um, only Fred could, you know, show you the data that says that Hispanics actually have different pain perceptions than do African-Americans. And talk to Fred if you want the answer to that question. But in this particular study, a meta-analysis of 61 articles looked at pain severity scores and compared Caucasians with African-Americans. Um, the consistent message was that African-Americans tended to have higher Womack scores and higher pain in non-Womack studies as well compared to Caucasians. Now, is that just a racist comment or is that, uh, is that the fact, Jack? Um, I think it's important when you consider that pain's an important outcome that we look at, especially in clinical trials, and the fact that in clinical trials, African-Americans are very underrepresented, as has been shown in many other studies by many other people. The people who are left out in the cold in research are African-Americans and women and low-income people. A lot of clinical trials involve middle and higher income individuals, more men than women, and more, much, much, much more whites. Forget about Hispanics and Asians and, and whatnot. So again, these are, this is an important data, um, but it's an important call for uh, better studies and better inclusion. Uh, I, I threw out a, a, a link to um, what I think is a really interesting um, podcast called The Plenary Session. 
It comes from the Oregon Health Science Center's oncologist, um, Vinay Prasad. And um, Vinay actually has a really cool podcast. It's, it's a teaching podcast. It's a, he's an oncologist, but he talks about more than oncology. This particular podcast that I've linked to is a discussion between himself and one of his colleagues on, uh, who's a cardiologist, on the two... Uh, on a lot of different trials in the New England Journal recently, including the CERT study, the methotrexate in cardio, cardiovascular risk patients. They also looked at um, fish oils and vitamin D and, uh, and comment on those things, which I found very, very interesting in this one-hour podcast. But uh, somewhere around minute 35 in that podcast, you, you can hear a, two non-rheumatologists non discuss this data and critique Paul Ritker's uh, beliefs that inflammation is involved in, in this. Uh, and they come away with the sort of, I think, the message that um, targeting inflammation in cardiac patients with anti-inflammatory drugs like methotrexate, even IL-1 inhibitors, is probably dead um, and maybe only reserved for select situations. Uh, and I think that this is followed up by another interesting podcast from um, Michael Putman. He has the evidence-based uh, rheumatology podcast which is a nice podcast where he reviews a journal article uh, usually about once a week. Uh, and you can find these, again, on iTunes and on uh, SoundCloud or Stitcher if you have a, 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 an Android phone. Um, I think there's a lot of good rheumatology podcasts, not just the, the, the Room Now podcast. I, I point you to also Ruminations by Adam Brown from the Cleveland Clinic, um, who does interviews of interesting rheumatologists on some of their work. So anyway, also Michael Putman, Putman has a discussion of the CERT, CIRT, and Canto studies. Again, sort of saying that these studies have sort of killed um, the excitement about targeting inflammation. I think it's going to sort of be an ongoing discussion. And knowing this data and knowing other viewpoints might make you the smart conversant rheumatologist. Uh, I was at the Arthros um, Georgia State meeting. Actually, it was the Mars Metropolitan Atlanta meeting uh, last weekend with Sergio Schwartzman and Bing Bingham. And Bing gave a fabulous talk on uh, immune-related adverse events. And I, I tweeted two things from there that I thought were bare repeating here. Uh, mainly because a week before, two weeks before, I was with Artie and we were at uh, his large meeting at UCSD. Um, with about 100 rheumatologists in the, in the audience, and we asked them, how many of you have seen these immune-related adverse events associate, associated with immune checkpoint inhibitors used for cancer? And more than half the audience shot its hand up. And maybe only about 15% of those, or, or, or of the overall audience, said they've seen more than two cases. So we did the same thing with about 40-plus rheumatologists in, in Atlanta, and about a third of the audience have seen these events. So if you haven't seen these immune-related adverse events, you've got to keep your eyes open. Again, these are people taking checkpoint inhibitors, um, and, you know, PD-1 and PDL one targeted therapies that are really popular now in very aggressive uh, cancers, including uh, melanoma. Anyway, Bing's lectures talked about there being a 3 to 5% um, uh, risk of these uh, musculoskeletal side effects associated with these immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, and that some of the common things that we see are not just arthralgias and arthritis, but also uh, tendonitis, tenosynovitis, dactylitis, and PMR. Uh, these patients tend to be all seronegative. A lot of them are treated with low-dose steroids. It's sort of a no-no to use high-dose steroids above 20 milligrams. Talk to your oncologist about what can be used. Do not use 
Um, Abitacept, that's a bad one. People are using some other biologics to treat inflammatory arthritis. Uh, we cover this quite a bit in room now. You can do a search on our webpage to see the things that are out there. Some really good articles coming from some really good people. Uh, I also want to rehash um, uh, an issue I brought up last week, which was how would you treat a 27-year-old who has four months of bilateral knee effusions, uh, synovial fluid of 22,000, culture negative, MRI showing synovitis only, labs only showing a positive ANA, one to 160 in a speculative pattern, negative tests for Parvo, B19, IgM, B27, rheumatoid factor, CCP, RPR, Hep B, Hep C, set rate and CRP were not elevated, no response to non-steroidals, no response to intraarticular steroids. Um, and what would you diagnose her as? Well, we did a survey on Twitter, and the answer was, um, the most common answer was, you would call this 50, 47% of you said, this is either a cult IBD PSA or SPA. The next most common answer was seronegative at 24%. Next most common was 21% with adult onset palsy JIA, and no one liked the idea of incomplete lupus, and don't, obviously don't believe in that. Uh, I got a nice and very informative email from Atul Deodar, also from Oregon Health Science Center, saying, you know, in common, in common nomenclature, this patient might be referred to as peripheral spondyloarthropathy, meaning that there's no axial disease, this is peripheral spondyloarthritis, uh, and that this is, happens to be HLA-B27 negative peripheral spondyloarthropathy. So is that the better term? Uh, I tend to like the term because of the ANA positivity that this is adult onset postarticular JIA with a positive ANA. The question is, will this patient, because of the ANA, have a higher risk of uveitis and inflammatory eye disease? But if she did, would she then not qualify for the diagnosis of um, adult seronegative peripheral spondyloarthritis. We have a nomenclature issue here. So um, let's see how this pans out. I think this is an interesting discussion. I have about four of these kind of patients. I think it's uh, uh, what we call them, it, how we treat them is probably more importantly. Anyway, the patient was treated with steroids, um, did better, 80% better, is gonna be started on methotrexate. We'll let you know how it pans out in the future. An interesting survey came from MedPage today about rheumatologist salaries for 2018 and that comes up with a grand total of, drum roll please, 214000 a year is the average salary for rheumatologists, making you the fourth lowest salary amongst all the medical disciplines that were covered. We are fourth behind, only lower than us, is pediatrics, family practice, and endocrinology. This sort of jives, with, at least at placement, with an earlier report from Medscape um, on the salaries of physicians that was issued in April of 2018, where our salary was a mean of 257,000, where we were eighth on the list. Again, uh, also only lower than us was pediatrics, family practice, endocrinology, physical medicine, rehabilitation, and a few other things, neurology actually. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, two more reports, nail fold video capillaroscopy and dermatomyositis, an interesting study looking at 70 patients and not just their nail fold capillaroscopy done with video microscopy, but also looked at skin biopsies, uh, serologies, and whatnot. Finding uh, a positive or abnormal um, uh, capillaroscopy study was seen in more than half, 58% of patients. Much higher in dermatomyositis patients, 65 versus 27%, 28% in polymyositis alone. Nail fold video uh, capillaroscopy abnormalities were associated with more so with antibodies against 
uh, TIF-1 Gamma and also um, the um, uh, NXP2 uh, antibodies, or I'm sorry, not NXP2, NXP2 the MDA5 antibodies. Um, and that was much higher, 85, 90% in those people, much lower in the tRNA synthetase syndromes associated with disease. If you had nail fold caparoscopy abnormalities, you were more likely to have more cellular skin biopsies as well. Uh, and the interesting thing was that unlike scleroderma, where nail fold changes tend to be static and unchanging over time, with one year of therapy, their patients actually showed significant improvement in the nail fold capillaroscopy findings. So I thought that was an interesting and new revelation to me. I'll end with a, a press release from uh, Lilly on their Spirit Head-to-Head H2H Ixacizumab versus Adalimumab. Um, and while this, I, I covered this because it's a slow news week, I don't think this is a really strong report only because it's a press release and they tell you they met their primary endpoint and showed that ixekizumab was significantly better than adalimumab in treating moderate uh, active psoriatic arthritis, uh, but they give you no data. They tell you 556 patients treated with ixekizumab or standard doses of adalimumab, um, and at the end of 24 weeks, guess what, we're better. But no, you, know, you have to go to a meeting to find out. We really shouldn't have press reports like this. I don't think that it helps anybody. I know this is marketing at its best or at its worst. I think this should be led for peer review, left for peer review, and for uh, open forums to have this kind of information released. That's my two cents. Um, I'll add 25 cents more and tell you about um, Room Now Lives, uh, March 22 through 24. Starts Friday afternoon, ends Sunday at 12.30 with Artie and I doing a meeting roundup or wrap-up. Uh, the meeting's in Fort Worth. It's uh, early registration is on. There's a significant discount on that for both fellows and for uh, faculty. Uh, you can go to roomnow.live to look at this meeting, look at the faculty. Next time I talk to you here, we're going to have a, um, a full listing of the faculty, which I can fully reveal at that time. For now, you're just going to have to be in suspense and look at the titles and the subjects. It's going to be really cool. Um, blocks of lectures on one topic, PSA, uh, vasculitis, lupus, rheumatoid, panel discussions, and, and then we're going to have TED-like talks, we're calling step talks, in between from some really cool people. So um, go to the website, roomnow.live, and see more about this great meeting. Uh, it is the 21st of December. I hope you're going to have a great holiday uh, and a good time off and a good vacation. Uh, we'll probably not have a presentation next week. Uh, if we do, that means something important happened in rheumatology that I just couldn't help myself. I had to get back on. So we'll see you in two weeks. Enjoy the holiday.